There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, there's uh, nobody here at the moment, so I think Kali's down in the shed. Hello. Hello. Bit late this morning, sorry. Can you let me in? I have it locked from the inside. All right, get, make sure there's a hot out. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you again. You too. Just lock this. You sit here. Hang on, just lock this so we don't get any escapees. Either humans oh, yeah. or animals. Now. Now, it's a bit of a story. <laughs> Who are you? We have a guest in here today. Hello, I'm Rob. Um, Rob Gandola. A lot of you will probably know me from just general Twitterage with Collie and being one of those people that gets out and ends up in ditches and counting frog spawn mats and catching newts with Collie and the spring and surveying for lizards and all the usual fun and games that we normally get up to around here. Sounds like a lot of fun. I've seen you on television, haven't I? Yeah, you've seen me on telly as well. Sometimes it's the bald, shiny head makes you very noticeable. He has a face for radio. <laughs> really for that, I'm joking. How dare you? <laughs> so what do you do? What's your speciality? So I'm a herpetologist as well. So I'm one of these zoology people who specialises in reptiles and amphibians. I'm currently trying to finish off my PhD on um, Madagascan Nile crocodiles out in UCD. But like... As I said, I've, I've been working on research in reptiles and amphibians for uh, nearly the last 14 years now. Everything from crocodiles to frogs, native um, stuff in Madagascar, Central America, the usual wide variety that keeps me out of trouble and, and away from the pub on most occasions, which is probably good for me. <laughs> what are we going to talk about today? So today I think we were talking, because me and Rob primarily deal with the um, herpifauna of Ireland, I think we talk about amphibian collapse and the, the the general hassle that they're going through at the moment it's kind of a, a hot topic in, in our circles and europe wide there's a big issue here at the moment because of the decline in the in the numbers like a, a proper collapse in, in certain individuals particularly like fire salamanders in in central europe and stuff like that so we have our own populations that are claim that they're fine but anecdotally and especially locally we've noticed severe drops in numbers so yeah I think it's it's an uh, interesting subject to talk about Is it going to be a sad story? Um, some success stories but it hasn't been good since the 1980s probably probably before then it was really noticed in the 80s it, they started officially seeing that populations were collapsing like major collapses and then some local extinctions mm. and then there was a bit of pushback from certain scientists saying well they fluctuate but then 
after proper research then they started looking at some of the funguses that were being spread around and some of the the viruses that were going around different populations and then mm. it be, it became a, a a real issue and everybody now is on the same page more or less wouldn't you say yeah i think um amphibian decline globally is a is a massive massive issue at the moment so i think um the best way of winning your crowd and winning people to your cause is to show you how amazing the animal that you're trying to conserve is. Mm-hmm. And with amphibians, like there's such huge variety, like from spectacularly colourful down to like the minute. There's something there for anybody that you can kind of get them kind of uh, interested in and fascinated with so that you can say, look, they're in trouble. But we know that if we do X and Y, it means that, you know, another number of, of negative factors um, kind of can be mitigated by doing these other things because usually it's 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 an additive effect that really hits them the worst rather than one thing on its own. We've found from doing public outreach that anybody who's into nature, even a slightly into nature, especially older generations, the first thing we kind of grab them by is saying, do you remember you used to collect tadpoles? And they go, oh my God. We did too. Yeah, and it brings them back to that kind of the, the little boy or girl who was out with nature and watching them grow and watching the change the metamorphosis and that kind of magic gets them back into it and then you can kind of bring in the conservation angle you go you don't see as many nowadays and they go Jane yeah I, I realise that now and it, it, it's a good in people genuinely love love these little animals you know there's a special place in, in their brains for them in their hearts or whatever but like it's just as Rob said it's a good angle to get in and just show how amazing how beautiful like our own our own Come a frog is an incredible little creature. It's terrible that you know something goes to all that trouble of um, evolving for millions of years, and then we slap the name common, yes. <laughs> like anything but. Yeah, what's their Latin name mean? Temporary frog. Yeah, yeah, just the uh, temporary frog. Why temporary? Frog. Well, just because of their spawning. It's usually done over a period of, of yeah. three to four weeks, and then they disappear. They, disappear. they, no they become terrestrial because no. it's easier to see them in open waters yeah. where they normally breed. But if you if you take the European example and they call them grass frogs or brown mm. frogs, you've given it a colour or you've given it a place where it's associated with to the name. So instead of being common, all the, the connotations with the word common never do a species any good. And it's usually those ones that are that have this kind of label as being a common species are usually the ones that decline massively. And it's never noticed until it's almost too late. Mm. And I think we're in danger of seeing that here but it's not because of some of the big nasties that we're probably going to talk mm. about, but it's because of like some of the really obvious things like habitat change, landscape use change. Um, and that's what most people in Ireland will tell you. Like mm. when we do the ed- outreach events, you just say, oh, yeah, that field over there is where I, used, I grew up in as a kid and it used to be wet down the end and they used to be chocked full of frogs, but then they drained it and now there's a housing estate there with 200 houses. Yeah. So the frogs don't come back anymore, like the habitat was taken away. You know, and that's the kind of thing. And, and it's fair enough if it's one case. But when you're having tens of people tell you the same story from all over the all island, place, yeah. that's when you start to kind of get this picture that, you know, things have changed, which they will change. Like, yeah. that's, you know, it's, it's, it's just how people are. species of frogs we have in Ireland? So in Ireland we're, we're very lucky in that we, we tend to have one of all of our amphibians which is great. We've got one frog, one newt, one toad. Really? Um, yeah, which is great. Um, 
makes it really easy, easy for somebody like myself and Collie to, to, to sell. You know, when, when you turn around, if you go to somewhere like Colombia, where there's hundreds and hundreds of species of, of frog across multiple families, and they all look weird, and some of them are huge, and some of them are tiny, it's a bit of a hard sell, mm. rather than there's lots of frogs, and they're all wonderful. Whereas here, we can go, we've got one species of frog, check this out, and yeah, fair enough, the males tend to be a bit boring, but the females are fantastic. They are so variable in their coloration. You get brick reds, yellows, greens, different tones of brown. So they're massively variable. Mm. And I think when you're trying to sell the image of something to people who wouldn't normally work with wildlife, colour is usually a really good way of doing it. You can say, look how colourful these mm. are. Or look at the amazing tones. And, and like then when you throw in... The common frog, grass frog. We call them grass frog. I don't like common frog. <laughs> grass frog lifestyles. Um, like they do all this crazy stuff. Like they're actually pirates. So when you read all these, all this, all this like information on them, I'll say like usually your population is one male. There's one male for every one female. That's not normally the case. There's usually an excess of males mm. at any given point in time. So the big males tend to do well because they wrestle with each other and they wrestle each other off the females in order to mate with her and they fertilise her eggs as they squeeze them out. But what happens to the lonely boys, who are very viable? They're, they're obviously strapping fecund males, <laughs> loads of sperm, and they need something to do with it. So what they'll go in, and they'll just grab hold of a big clump of spawn, which may have like 200 plus eggs in it, or more, and they'll actually become pirates. They're spawn clump pirates, and they'll fertilise... over them. <laughs> Essentially, that's what they'll do. They'll go in, and they will pirateise spawn and they will meet with the clump of spawn it's wow. like you know in Family Guy when Lois gets the, the liposuction <laughs> and Peter's in the office and he's giving it to the big bag of fat that's essentially what they're doing and what they're hoping there is some of the embryos will not have been fertilised by the male who was wow. actually in amplexus with the female and then they'll kind of fertilise the other ones yeah. and they'll cut them missing so you it's likely that you get multiple fathers for every clump of spawn which keeps them genetically healthy as well insurance policy amazing absolutely but mm. Grass frogs are the ultimate animals in insurance policies. They they do so much things like you could spend hours just talking about yeah. them, like from what their tadpoles do right up until how the adults behave to ensure that the next generation kind of gets to be recruited into the population mm. and can go on in two or three years later to, to become the ones who are mating as well. It's it's nuts. And um, how big is a grass frog? Um, I don't know. A big, large female, maybe kind of to shy 10 centimetres yeah, maybe 4 inches yeah. from the tip of the nose to the, to the Eurostall so the, the, the funny the, thing the about frogs them. as well is the older they are they never stop really growing they'll keep getting big because they get predated and nailed so much they don't naturally live that long obviously probably 5 or 6 years is a good age for for a frog in a natural habitat because especially around breeding season they get hammered by everything because mm. they've only one thing on their mind which is doing the nasty and getting the next generation along and while they're so focused on that they tend to get nailed by herons foxes otters everything will eat them it's just like a big food fest for all the predators but in gardens where there's not so many predators I have frogs here for 12 years wow. and I can recognise them as well as Rob says the females especially the females have different colour patterns so you can see oh, I have a big girl called Big Red who comes back every year and she's she's huge and wow. you know you have one with a gimpy arm or something that you you, <laughs> you remember who they are yeah. call them different names but yeah so they they do get big the big females are, are big enough for a, a substantial animal to have around your back garden and kind of cool to see them you know I remember collecting as you said collecting tadpoles when we were kids you know and I remember them as being really really small but I was up in the mountains last year up uh, around Glencree and beyond 
and we parked the car at one of the scenic locations and took a walk back into the hills and there was a couple of uh, ponds full of water just rainwater that had been there and they were teeming with tadpoles but they looked much bigger than I remember them when I was a kid so maybe I just have a bad memory or no um like tadpoles, I think they're so variable. Yeah. Like I've got tadpoles at home still. Yeah. So these massive tadpoles are the mm. ones for whatever reason, and it's not always environmental, just have decided not to metamorphose. So you end up the following spring with these whopper mini submarines floating around. Really? And then they'll metamorphose usually with the following year's ah. next next lot. But they, they all catch up. They come out as bigger froglets they, yeah. when they metamorphose they come out as bigger froglets oh that's amazing um, so they can actually choose if maybe if conditions aren't good or something or whatever they choose, they, they don't metamorphose into, into frogs yeah now we've tried it ourselves because yeah. we get up to all this sort of carry on <laughs> just because that's how we do I, we've, I've got the, the beautiful Ikea ponds which are the big plastic tubs in the garden because we don't have a, a pond like Collie does um, and we get spawning there the frogs in my garden come in and spawn in the Ikea tubs so like they're really flexible in that way as well so all the tadpoles are, are subjected to the exact same condition conditions and then some will come out and go into the garden and i've still got froglets i've still yeah. got little tadpoles there right now wow and they've got back legs they haven't the, the front legs have developed mm. but they haven't ruptured through the skin yet so they're just in under the chest so you have these little jet black um they look very similar to fish because they're so large and they're just swimming around now and they will metamorphose next spring but they'll just be slightly bigger than the, yeah. the normal froglets but the, the next year's froglets will catch up with size yeah. so come june july barring us getting another ridiculous heat wave, they'll, it all evens out. The small ones catch up eventually. Wow. That, yeah. That's, uh, as Rob was saying earlier on, that's another insurance policy. Yeah. It's another little trick. So case next year's lot get wiped out as as spawn, for example, if we have a nasty frost like we did last mm-hmm. year, you still have those tadpoles that will metamorphose and produce a, a certain amount of the next generation. So it's, it's a very cool trick. That's amazing. So what's your favourite tadpole fact or frog fact? Um... I like the fact that they're pirates. I like this image. Yeah. I'm sitting there, Captain, J- ca- ca- Captain Jack Sparrow-esque with a little eye patch yeah. on, just being a bit weird and you hanging around a water bottle. call them the sex pirate frog. Yeah. That would be a, a, a much better name because people would gravitate towards that. I guess. Well, shiver me timbers. Arr. They just do so many cool things as well as like being like they are a food source as yeah. well in some countries. Yeah. I hear well, I suppose if you're hungry enough. I think you I think th- I think my one is the African bullfrog. They're the the heavyweight wrestlers, the heavyweight UFC champions of <laughs> of of frogs because the males are actually bigger than the females, which is really unusual for frogs. Also when they spawn they protect the eggs. So it doesn't matter if you're an elephant or a lion on the savannah, if you go near their little pond where they're sitting and they will actually launch at you. And they have these uh, they're not teeth they're extensions of their jawbone that are quite sharp like one of the worst bites I ever got was off an African bullfrog wow. it's like it's really it's nasty and it feels you'll feel it like you know but um, also when their their little ponds are drying out baking under the sun they'll actually dig a canal to a bigger water source wow. and push all their tadpoles along now you wouldn't associate that with frogs or, or amphibians or anything cold blooded but that, that, that's a, re- a really cool trick that they do and wow. I think they're cool what are the cool tricks do our guys have well <laughs> Now that Collie started it, right? <laughs> this, 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 this is when we start these massive nerd offs, and nearly everybody, like usually for having a few points, everybody kind of wanders off. Then it's just me and him talking to each other, shouting about frogs. But frogs are fantastic in that um, males do a huge amount of looking after the young. 
because everybody just goes oh, it's always the females like look at birds and look at this but frogs are fantastic like you get a lot of males that will like from everything from tiny little dart frogs up to big Taiwanese tree frogs and then these huge um, pixie frogs in Africa where the males actually care for the tadpoles and, and look after them and ensure they're safe and even glass frogs in Costa Rica it's generally the males that will go down to the river and then they'll fill up their bladder they'll drink water and then they'll go up and they'll pee on the eggs to keep them moist oh, wow. um, they'll uh, they'll chase off these parasitic wasps mm. and then they also monitor the eggs to make sure that like there's no mold and stuff because in the rainforest it's quite humid and um, moist they, they actually monitor the eggs for signs of mold growth and I think they just wee more on them <laughs> if, if they're mold growth so, so males do a huge amount in, in, in the amphibian world especially in the frog world Are those um, the ones that also the, the, the frogs you were talking about there with the parasitic wasps attacking the, the spawn are they the ones that the spawn has evolved to, to jump out of the yeah, the uh, early uh, release. Yeah, early release. Yeah, is, is, is that the same ones? Yeah. Yeah. So, what they got all the the evidence for this is is from um, the red eye tree frog family. So the yes. Spirellis, these gliding red eye tree frogs, which are amazing, and it seems to be that the females lay this egg clump on a leaf overhanging water because the tadpoles want to go down into the water. But if the, you get these cat-eyed snakes that are there, the Leptodirus, and they tend to stick their face into the clump and they'll eat the embryos because the embryos is nutritious um, like the, the jelly is actually water and some lipids and it's a bit rubbish so they'll stick their face in but snakes when they move on branches make a certain vibration parasitic wasps when they sit on the leaf will make a certain vibration that's not daddy keeping an eye on them and it's not the wind yep. or it's not a bigger animal just hitting them by accident yep. and once this frequency is hit and it, the vibrations it, it triggers the tadpoles to drop out of the eggs early Wow! so it's a, it's an early release mechanism it's a defensive mechanism wow. and, and they still have enough of the yolk as they're developing to, to just continue and keep on growing once they hit the water so they're free from that predator now doesn't mean they're free from aquatic predators but they've just saved themselves getting absolutely destroyed wow. by a snake or a parasitic wasp or um, you know anything else that's that's having to go but it has to be a, of certain frequencies mm. this American guys have done some really cool stuff yeah. on that it's amazing yeah. yeah it's awesome like what people tend to just write off as just as a frog and they, they just do this just yeah. is one of those words <laughs> where it's infinitely complex you could literally talk for hours yeah. about the different again like what we've talked about before on the podcast it's like the different ways of surviving and getting through life and how they've evolved these multitudes of ways to 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 make it through the world and it's really really interesting again you could we've had many a pint yeah. and many a chat over well, give me, our give me more stories and we have time <laughs> no because because we do this thing right it's, and it's usually all of our friends are looking at us going oh, lads you said it wouldn't happen this time it always does <laughs> always, even happened on thursday there when we're having pints um you know no matter what you're looking at then Collie will go, oh yeah, well I saw this in Africa or I said, oh, I'd say in the Neotropics and then you, someone, like one of our mates may say something and then you realise that the same thing is happening so it's the same strategy no matter whether it's reproductive or it's defence or whatever in that it's happening species. everywhere yeah, it's all this parallel evolution yeah. and you've got it happening in these completely unrelated frogs doing a very similar thing in the Neotropics and a very similar thing in Asia and a very similar thing in Africa and it's amazing and then we go off and have this massive nerdgasm <laughs> and I was like lads we just don't understand this <laughs> at all but like <laughs> it's it's super exciting yeah. and there's so much that we still don't know Yeah. and the scary thing is as well and this is where we have to get into the sad bit of the conversation the scary bit is there's so much we don't know and we're losing so many frogs before we even really discover them. Mm. And this is why I want to ask you a couple of questions. What's the biggest nasty that's out there affecting frogs? 
worldwide? What in would you opinion, say? Or in your just opinion? Say, my opinion, it has to be loss of habitat and fragmentation. Has to be. And I think a really important point is that like we see ourselves as a Western country and we're developed and it's all wonderful. We are absolutely no different from any other developing nation. If you look at Ireland, just in turn, and this is me not being political, but just me just being me, we're heavily reliant on agriculture. So we're quite an agricultural country, like a lot of these developing nations are. So agricultural intensification, habitat and land use change is exactly what's affecting huge numbers of species abroad and is affecting our small, less than a handful of species here. And that's by far the biggest threat to, to pop amphibian populations. Then you throw in the big diseases now, so like the ranaviruses, which are particularly nasty, the chytrid fungus, which is a mutated viral strain that's kind of conquered the globe and wiped out populations, you know. And then remember the old... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered hole in the ozone layer oh, yeah. intensification Indeed. of UV that's still a threat to frogs never mind pollution and, and just constant stressors road salt in winter really? Ch- climate change driving amphibians that live on mountaintops all of a sudden their moist mountaintop isn't so moist anymore because of climate change what does the road salt do? road salt is crazy in that when it gets washed into these little streams what it tends to do is cause a sex reversal because it's, it's not like table salt it's it's different kind of um, okay. salt. So there's different chemicals in it. And what that can do is it can make frog tadpoles um, shift sex as yeah. they're developing. Now, on the other hand of that, atrazine and all those nice chemicals that we find in um, pesticides, weed killers like Roundup, will cause a different shift to the opposite mm. sex. So what you can have is a balancing of road salt affecting your frog population in one way and then the atrazine affecting it the other way. So then you can end up with these weird sex changes being induced by chemicals. It's chemically induced sex change. So when you're out on gritted roads, mm. there's potentially an effect in the immediate area. Now, it doesn't spread like very far and wide, but in the immediate area of the having it, like it's essentially, it's, it's, it's a form of pollution, yeah. but it's one that can actually change the sex of your frogs. Oh, God, so, you know, so, so, so small, small things that people tend to ignore um, 
can have big mm. impacts. But on the converse side of that, small actions that people can do can have a massive impact. Put a pond in your garden, even if it's a washing tub, which are for your cups, you want to get a new one. Bury that in your garden, let it fill with rainwater. And like we've seen frogs next door, actually, is a fantastic one. Child slide overturned in the wind, caught the rain on the curve. Frog went in and laid a clump of spawn, and wow. the curve rent was what less than an inch and a half of water yeah. in it. Wow! With a crisp potato crisp bag from like nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, it's amazing. It. My neighbours were like, "Is there something that looks like? Is that frog spawn in our garden?" And I was like, "Let me have a look." In a in a piece of plastic, tr- discarded there for years. And wow. yeah, it was a great photograph actually because it goes to show how adaptive they were. Yeah. Like because they obviously they couldn't gain access into my garden, so they were like, "Well, this will do," and viable eggs. But when the frog, so the frog is in this plastic bag or whatever, yeah. does it have a place then to live? Can it find the rest a place? Of the garden, the, uh-huh. the, the water isn't really important. The yeah. water is only important for spawning. Yeah. And that's for three weeks of the year. What's what's it down for the other kind of 49 weeks of the year? It's yeah. on the land, stuff in its face usually, because like most frogs, and if you look at Collie's lovely um, Argentinian frog there, it's essentially a head on a stomach. Yeah. And, and most frogs are like that. It's particularly the big ranids, like the, the one we have here. Like, you give them something the size of a lunchbox or an ice cream box, and they'll breed in it once it's full of water. No wow. problem. They don't care. Yeah. They just need water for the tadpoles to, to be able to swim and develop. That's it. You go into a bog ecosystem, frogs sit right bang in the middle of the film chain. So like, and they're top predators. They'll eat anything they can fit in their mouth. So they'll eat anything below it and a couple of steps up the, the food chain above yeah. it as well. So they're, they're massively important. And that's why you hear a lot of stuff where people say they're ecosystem indicators. So it means that if there's frogs, it usually means it's a good sign mm-hmm. that the, the immediate area is, is healthy in some way, shape or form. So I remember when we were growing up, a lot of the neighbours used to complain about bloody frog spawn every year and they go in and clean out their ponds it just seemed to be everywhere and I cannot remember the last time I saw a frog spawn or even the last time I saw a frog like in the back garden or or whatever so how do you how do you guys count the number of frogs or individuals or how do you keep an eye on the population there's a system basically the the guys in England came up with a great system where they have um, you look at a patch of clump of spawn and you could have five or six metres of it you measure it wow. and then you have a, a vector for each clump of spawn, basically. So if you have... Like a square. Yeah, exactly. And each one you'll know roughly what size a, a mating pair would make. Measure your thing, divide it by that, and then you'll get a number of pair, uh, of, of breeding pairs. Now, again, you'll probably have more males than females. So it's only a rough est- estimate, but it does give you a good indication of what the numbers are. Like we've been doing Bushy Park for the last couple of years. And you can, in, in places like that where they're kind of struggling you can see individual clumps of spawn. So you might count 10 in an area this year and then maybe next year it's six or seven. And then the following year it could be five. And then you might get a bounce back. And you could, that's how we kind of, we, we gauge the numbers because you, it'd be impossible otherwise to, to go out and actually physically mm-hmm. catch them because they're, they're quite elusive for the mm-hmm. rest of the year, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're always working off um, a minimum population there. So when you're counting clumps of spawn, there has to be at least one male for every female there yeah. if it's viable um, and you can tell it's viable very quickly because you'll tell whether it's fertilised because you'll see that it's fully black embryo the unfertilised still have the white pole so it's black and white and then again as Collie says you might go back to next year and there's twice that amount and that's why it's so important to do these year on year because you're looking trends are important like one year survey is 
essentially worthless unless you just like to go and take photographs of spawn and get into a ditch and measure spawn clumps that we have some weird fascination <laughs> of doing but like so so that's just a whole at, other and, podcast yeah i know yeah but but in sites where like we've been worried initially and we've gone oh lads this this is looking bad here and you can see that like a new housing estates have gone up or the park has been isolated because now there's a new road or whatever and like, shit so then you look for other factors you're like right but we have to come back next year and then you come back and you go well how many? How much albino spawn are we getting? Because albino spawn is a really good indicator that your population, the recessive gene, so you're you're getting inbreeding. Okay. Banjo um, players, yeah, yeah. we call them Absolutely. banjo players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got, got Cletus spawn, and so then, but then we might come back down the following year. So then you're into year three already, and you come back the third year and you look at it and you go, bloody hell, there's like four times the spawn there was right. since we started here, and that's all the recruitment. So, because you're always at a lag, because there's always adults who are too small to breed, mm. and they're off in under your hedgerow, stuffing their face, and and essentially they're all they're doing is essentially mouth with a giant stomach, <laughs> and the, and the whole objective is feed up and go and bang the following, you know, like when they're big enough to do it, and that's what they go and do, and then you see this, but they're a natural boom bust mm. species. But this is why it's really important because if if you keep seeing that your numbers are dropping off and there's no sign of your boom year on the approach that's when you need to get wordy especially when you start to see like more leucistic spawn which is white tadpoles mm. the albino has more of a yellowy tinge mm. and you can see the pink eyes the leucistic are white with black eyes still and you start to see these weird genetic um, coloration changes happening and then they become more prevalent and that's when you know you need to if someone has frogs in their garden you need to start asking them can they knock a block which is something that me, me and Collie um, knock a block tra- yeah knock a block so did we steal that name from somebody no I came up with it and we, then they yeah. stole it from us oh, <laughs> <fair enough. laughs> no it, the, 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 the idea basically is because gardens used used to be quite open in housing estates and if you look at it from Google Maps if you look down any housing estate it looks like a park because all the gardens are facing onto each other. And that was back in the 80s. That, that was the way it was. You might have a wooden fence or something. Mm. But now everybody has block mm. walls. Solid block walls. No uh, movement for hedgehogs. You know, who mm. aren't that nimble. Frogs, newts. Mm. They're the kind of animals that get stuck in these small isolated areas. So what we were suggesting is people just put one block out of their garden. And that allows access between right. multiple areas and just spreads out their, their, you know, the areas that they can mix up with other populations. You don't get banjo players. <laughs> they all get to meet each other and much more sources of food as well, which is, you know, it's, it's a simple and effective way of... Our big goal is, because of the urban spread, is to try and make them comfortable with us. Mm. I think it's important, you know. So take out one block at, at ground level and give on access. On either side of your garden. Yeah. On either side. So yeah. they can get in, get out and yeah. get through. Yeah. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. The albino, sorry, the, uh, those albino frogs one. Do the they... Yeah. They actually develop into yeah, albino-looking frogs. Yeah, really. Yeah, so so we've we've taken some from some of our monitor sites and we've put them into tubs to rear them. And what you have is that they develop perfectly. They're gorgeous, and we've got pictures of them. Like it's fantastic, and you've got these beautiful white albino, uh, beautiful white, or these kind of yellowy, pinky tinged tadpoles, and they're all swimming around. They look gorgeous, and then you go out one day and they'll have crashed just for no apparent reason. All your normal tadpoles Died. in the tubs, yeah. 
are still swimming around. They're all being fed the same thing. They're exposed to the same temperatures, water temperature, air temperature, everything. And all the white ones crash off. So we think that it's a, it's probably a, some weird genetic level that their physiology isn't right. And they crash, but some of them always survive. Mm. And then based on their diet, you can see that they, some of them change colour a little bit. Some of them become like a bit of a weird pea green, kind of a pale greeny colour. But they're still way more obvious than the normal ones. And then they're just it's just free range for something like a blackbird or a heron and they just come in and pick them off. Stick out like a sore thumb yeah. and then... The Kildare site story when we got the call out there. Yeah, it was nuts. That, that was crazy. That was one of the maddest experiences. You go ahead and fill them in on that one. We we had a phone call from a local vet, and she was really worried. She was out walking her dog, and normally the the site in in Kildare bubbles. That's and all the locals will tell you that it boils during the spring with how many frogs are in there hopping around and they said like even at night by moonlight you can see the disturbance of the water. It's nuts. It's crazy. So she said she'd been down with the dog. And it was like somebody had gone in with a bomb and dropped a grenade and killed all the frogs. There was like concentric, it was almost perfectly concentric rings around the pond of dead frogs oh everywhere. God. When we pulled up in the car, we yeah. opened the door and we stood out. Mm. And it was, do you, do you remember that scene in Platoon where like the helicopter's taken off? It's just a big, you imagine the pond was the crater and just bodies everywhere. And as we got closer, it was more intense. Yeah. And some of them were dead, some of them were kind of still alive and moving around. But they were all very not good looking, not looking well, right? So we, we walked down to the, because there's a nice mowing track right down to where it says deep water, don't drown. Um, so we walked down there and it was it was just insane. And we were looking at it going, lads, this, what the hell's going on here? Like, all, all kind of indications immediately, like, this is a disease outbreak. And we'd none before. And we'd just done the only disease screening project ever mm-hmm. to be done on this island. We'd just done the year before. We're like, we didn't detect any of this nasty shit. What's going on? So we went and we did a rough count. And I think the average worked out like 296 or something. So it was about 300 dead frogs. Oh God. Essentially, since from when the vet rang us the previous evening to when we got there. I was like, man, there's something not right here. But they weren't showing the very obvious signs of disease. Like mm-hmm. the, Normally with something like ranivirus, it tends to be later in the year when the water's warmer. And they get a lot of hemorrhaging, so we see like a lot of blood under the skin. They're all pink and red. And with chytrid, they just kind of tend to be floating there. But there's obviously like the, the skin can look a bit crusty and weird. What's chytrid? So chytrid is this um, particularly nasty fungus that's essentially colonised the globe. It's they think it's it's a it's an Asian strain that's through the pet trade has evolved into a more virulent strain. There's multiple strains, some of which aren't nasty to like the area of where it's from. So the frogs have kind of dealt with it, and they're They've got a very high resistance rather than immunity to it, um, you know. And and they were worried because in certain places, like in Costa Rica, this this fungus um, has essentially wiped out and made numerous species go extinct. The one that's normally kind of given a lot of the the, the spotlight over it was the golden toad, the mm-hmm. in Monteverde. So that was kind of the big indicator that something wasn't right there. There's a second chytrid fungus, the salamander chytrid, which is the Latin name translates nicely to the salamander eater, and that's come from Asia and they know it's come from Asia for sure um, and that's been spread into your via the pet trade again mm. so when we went to investigate this massive frog death in Kildare we were worried that now even after doing the screening we were a year late we didn't detect it 
which was fantastic. But now all of a sudden, what the hell's going on here? So we had a look around, we did counts, we took measurements, we collected animals, we sent them to ZSL because the Zoological Society of London, those guys there, they've, their lab is primed for disease analysis, so they're the best people to do it. So we sent the carcasses to them for investigation. You know, we told what Parks and Wildlife that this was happening and that we'd keep them up to date and informed what was going on. And it was just insane. So we estimate just on the death toll alone that that one small pond which people use for exercising their dogs, the local sheep use it for, for watering, must have held at least a 1,000 individuals during breeding season. So, wow. like, so quite small ponds, very, very productive. So we suspected kitchen, but we were also very worried about a kind of a, a, a weird kind of bout of ranavirus at the wrong time of year because it had been a weird, unusual winter anyway and it had been very warm during December and maybe the water was holding the temperature slightly higher than it would. And then all of, all of it came back and usually it, it just said that there's no disease there. We've done the necropsies, which were suggesting disease, but that could be from anything. Mm. Like, that was another thing. The crows weren't eating the carcasses. Yeah, we were... That's That was the real alarm bells, because there yeah. were so many half-eaten or, or not-touched carcasses around, yeah. so we were thinking, it has yeah. to be something funky. And it turned out yeah, to be. Well, <laughs> we turned out... We were like, this is nuts. But what it looks like it sounds to be, and, and we're going to have to write this up at some point, is that it's likely to have been a mammal, probably a ferret, somebody's pet, that went and wiped them all out. Like actually and just killed physically. Yeah, so ferrets are nuts, <clears throat> right? All the mustelids are fantastic animals. And if I wasn't a herpetologist person, I would want to study mustelids because they're crazy. So what we think was, there's anecdotal reports of somebody seeing two ferrets around the area. So somebody's pets who were escaped are intentionally released because they didn't want them anymore because they can be a bit smelly and aggressive, but they're awesome. And what ferrets do, when there's so much prey available, they go into a killing frenzy. Mm-hmm like they do when they get into chicken coops with stoats and, and things like that. So we think that based on puncture wounds on the back of the head, which is very indicative of a ferret, we did all this nerdy stuff, like we measured the distance between the puncture marks and the shoulders and the shoulder girl in the back of the head. To, and usually you've got this table that you can compare it to and go, well, if it's between this and this, is stoat. And anything bigger than that mm-hmm. is suggestive of a <coughs> ferret. So we are dealing with a really big stoat, which is not really from the area where we are, it's quite urban. So it's likely to have been a ferret. And then people had seen ferrets there. And we were like, shit, this is just a a feeding frenzy. Mm. And it's again, they'll kill loads Mm. to order to stash it and come back later. Mm. And it's because it's it's an impulsive thing. Yeah, so it's like a a fox goes into a chicken coop and sees movement. It's primed to just go for that movement. And then there's another chicken, it goes for that. And another chicken, Mm -hmm. and it goes for that. So this this loop of movement and kill and movement and kill is just... And, you know, they're not evil like people think. Oh, we're just, they're in to kill all the chickens. They're just doing what they do. And it's just the excitement and probably they get a little adrenaline rush. Like, yo, happy days. Look at all this food. And then it's it's like a glut almost of, of... And... The the great thing is though, like we've been back three years after that each year, and the population's straight back up, and no more instance of of this. We did find one cool thing: we found a frog sitting yeah. in the grass, and we we're like, he looks very odd. And you can imagine a frog with just his front arms and his head popping out of the grass, and he looked perfectly fine. And then I went to lift him up, and he'd been eaten in half from the bottom. Oh. So it was, uh, we reckon it was a, a small mammal, shrew, a shrew, yeah. yeah, had pulled him in wow. to a hole and just ate his legs and just left him there. It's like but that clip in Jaws, you know, <laughs> exactly, when Robert, yeah. Robert Shaw's talking about them floating around <laughs> in the sea and the tiger shark's coming in, and he touched his mate in the yeah. shoulder and he bobbed up and down and he'd been bitten in exactly half below like the that. waist. So exactly cool. like that, yeah. Wow. 
yeah, it, it's it was kind of an amazing experience to see that. And it was worrying at the time, but now we can kind of look back at it and go, wow, that's a. I think it was our first major big predation incident that we'd come yeah. across. Like, and you do hear them all the time, like the exploding toads in Germany and that kind of stuff, you know. But exploding uh, toads, explain that now. Yeah, so there was a, a small pond again in a German village, and um, people were walking along and watching these distressed-looking toads popping and finding where their guts hanging out and all this kind of thing they couldn't figure it out they got a herpetologist near like ourselves in who set up camp and watched it for a while and what he noticed was if you look at a toad on its back it has its its bufotoxin glands which are really like full of nasty chemicals and stuff like that but the covids the local crows and magpies were copping on to how to get some tasty treats out of these right. toads so what they were doing was they were flipping them on their backs right. and pulling their livers out and what, what happens when a toad is stressed? It puffs itself up. And you puff yourself up and there's a hole in your side, boom, all your guts come out. Wow. And that's essentially what was happening. And it's a really, really interesting uh, little study. And you can almost imagine, though, if science hadn't been around. Imagine that was happening in the 1800s, something like that. Yeah. Somebody would have gotten burnt over that. Somebody would have been, <laughs> she's <Witchcraft>. a witch, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it was a really cool uh, little kind of, and to show how intelligent COVID's are, you know what I mean? Which, yeah. to, to figure that out. So, before we continue on this brilliant conversation nerding out over frogs maybe we'll take a break and come back in a couple of weeks and talk about pet trade and habitat creation and all that good stuff in in our in our own country how do you feel about that yeah sounds great i think we've uh, done it again sorry Colette. <laughs> <laughs> there will be some good news though will there how oh yeah there's always good news yeah we're gonna have some good news we'll cheer you up don't worry next time we have a, a frog nerd gasm <laughs> brilliant Absolutely. frog nerd gasm i like that yeah cool thanks a million rob cheers powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiancé. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com